Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Chitheads podcast. My guest today is actually a repeat guest, Alex O'Dare, who I interviewed for episode number eight of the Chitheads podcast about five years ago. Before we get into today's interview, though, I just want to take a moment to explain a little bit about the format of today's episode. The first portion of the interview is actually a segment that Alex and I recorded after our initial interview. Alex reached out to me wanting to tackle the topic of yoga and socialism, so a couple days later we hopped back on uh, Skype and decided to record this segment. We felt so good about it that we thought it would be interesting to feature it at the beginning of the episode. So today's interview really is in two parts. In the first part, Alex and I tackle the question of whether or not a yogi should be a socialist. And then in the second portion of the interview, which was actually the first portion that we recorded, Alex and I talk a lot of politics, and we also talk a little bit about Alex's uh, satirical work on social media and how it relates to her asana teaching practice. I do need to offer a disclaimer. Alex O'Dare is a fan of more colorful language, so if curse words are offensive to you, you might think twice about listening. Other than that, this is an extremely fun and provocative episode, and I hope you enjoy it. We love talking to each other so much, we just couldn't get enough of each other. We just couldn't get enough. Yeah, but I really want, it's like, you know, I've had this feeling before, it's fun that you're letting us do this, because after, you know, doing some these things it's always like in retrospect when you have a little more space to think about what you want to say I was like well your podcast is still called embodied philosophy right the t- podcast is called chit heads yeah oh chit heads yeah. right but your, but your the platform is called embodied philosophy yeah okay right right yeah. that's how I was in the podcast was called but I knew it was called chit heads I realized but um um then I was like, well, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Like, how do we embody the political philosophy we were talking about? And is that applicable to embodiment, you know, to somatic? So just to give a little context, we're back. This is actually um, Alex and I have decided to, <laughs> as she was saying, uh, revisit um, a couple points after we had gotten off of our very long discussion, um, about an hour and a half of chatting about mostly politics, then, uh, you know, you had to run. I think we were both getting a little tired. And then, you know, after the fact, you had sent me a text being like, what about yoga and socialism? And and asking me, you know, if if I thought, you know, you needed to be a democratic socialist to be a, you know, quote unquote, true yogi, to which I responded with a a long-winded response. Um, great response and I almost want like I almost feel like we should read it but I don't know if it's too long you know sure we can read it um why not and then yeah so I'll 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 uh, I'll kind of I'll read it and then I'll I'll maybe because it is dense I think because you know writing can always be slightly more dense than actually um than speaking about things and then um and I'll kind of maybe slow it down and unpack a little bit of detail and then you can kind of give me your thoughts because I know you have them now (laughs) um not that you didn't have them before yeah exactly and maybe I'll say the question too I, I said I wrote to Jacob right after we finished recording the last time and I said um when I hung up I realized that I wanted to ask you meaning I wanted to ask Jacob if he thought is, is your pronoun he? Yeah. Thank you. I never asked that. Um, 
if he thought that a yoga practice, and I wrote real yoga, which I think we'll end up getting into, um, if we can, we're going to try to keep this short-ish, um, requires you to be, I wrote a socialist, but we could add in a democratic socialist. Right, yeah. Um, to which I responded, and this is actually, you know, it's interesting that you asked this because I originally come from a political theory background and I was, you know, very much kind of in the kind of Marxist school of thought for a very long time. And so, and this has been an ongoing, um, you know, challenge for me to see how these two, um, you know, uh, trajectories of thought, you know, Eastern kind of wisdom, particularly the non-dual variety and, and political philosophy intersect. And sometimes certain readings of Eastern traditions amount to a kind of conservatism. So there is, you know, so all of this is really, it's about interpretation, I think, and it's about yeah. kind of the, the, the specific hermeneutic that you bring to the table. But anyway, yeah. um, so I said, you know, well, well, naturally, I said, I'm actually not sure I have a straightforward answer. Naturally, it partly depends on what we mean by yoga, like you were saying, um, because of course, you know, yoga means different things to different people and it's meant different things throughout history. Yeah. Um, but it reminds me of a conversation I had with a Marxist who said they had a hard time with Eastern philosophy because they see consciousness as shaped by material condition, materialist conditions, structures of power, etc. And therefore, this is in conflict with the view of consciousness as primary and prior to these, you know, materialist conditions. Um, and so from this person's perspective, then Marxism and non-dual philosophy are in conflict. And then I said, well, from my perspective, they are not because I actually think that this view, they can be held together. Um, this view suggests that consciousness and awareness are the same thing. And so I said that, you know, this view kind of conflates, you know, this fancy philosophical word conflates consciousness with awareness. Um, consciousness, of course, from the the Indian traditions being the ground of being, Brahman, Shiva nature, while awareness is the subjective contraction of consciousness that is structured by social conditions, you know, including systems of equality and power. Um, so one's access to the to an intimacy with the former that is consciousness as the ground of being is often deeply constrained by the coordinates of the latter or you know mm -hmm. awareness contracted awareness those coordinates that are then of course manipulated and organized by systems of injustice or oppression mm. so then i so then my answer after that long-winded response is i guess insofar and i'm not sure about this this is just you know this is a hypothesis i guess insofar as yoga is partly about cultivating the conditions whereby individuals can realize their own self as consciousness <laughs> it makes sense that a yogi would be a socialist for the material conditions of unfettered capitalism can delimit the boundaries of awareness mm. such that consciousness becomes less accessible to some, mm. maybe. <laughs> and <laughs> then I said, but of course, this is not always the case since obviously many highly realized beings have been in you know positions where they're subject to systems of oppression and still have been realized. And then I certainly wouldn't want to suggest that you know we white privileged folk are somehow more capable of spiritual insight than our POC brothers and sisters just by virtue of the fact that we're less oppressed in these well, materialist ways because that's obviously not the case. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So I have to think about this more. That was where I ended up. And then I said, you know, this is my own personal position. 
I think because I see yoga as that process by means of which we experience the fullness of consciousness mm -hmm. and how that experience then in turn shapes our embodied lives and activities, I guess it really boils down to the relationship between consciousness and awareness and what political programs or theories, one could say, support the transformation of awareness such that consciousness can be more fully or mm. deeply realized. Mm. Oh, that did take a long time to get through. Wow. Okay. Um, I would, that was great having you read it like that because I could really like digest it again because I took some time with it. And um, yeah, I really love that answer and really agree with it and might like I have some ways that I would word it um, that that is maybe maybe like a more colloquial lay person's understanding and you can and you can also tell me if you agree with my rewording of some of it the way I often talk like the way whenever I talk about Dharma and I'm putting quotes around that for those who can't see I often describe what you're describing in this I think in slightly different wording. So you can tell me if I am saying the same thing you're saying on some level. Okay. And I would say that um, I agree with your definition of yoga, taking into account that I believe there's many definitions. I don't believe yoga can be anything, though. I don't think you can say you're doing um, shopping and yoga or, you know, all of these things we people like to conflate and say it's all yoga. I don't Yeah, I agree with that. Yes, yeah. but I don't believe, but I do believe that there are many interpretations simply because even in the Vedanta, there's Advaita Vedanta, exactly. Vedanta, obviously so many sects, and you're, you're, you know much more about that than, than I do, much more of the details. I mean, you've done much deeper studies. I just have a very, like, you know, maybe, I don't know, 10 years of studying Advaita Vedanta with one teacher, you know, but I haven't, like, dabbled into yeah. different texts, da, 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 da. Okay. Are you still t are you still studying with Shubhaji, by the I way? I'm not actually. Um, and part of the reason, and I adore her and love her and credit her with so much of my knowledge, but part of the reason is I do find some political differences, you know, and I do find right now in my life, as I mentioned, a little bit of a break with everything in the sense that I'm like, is this actually helping? <laughs> yeah. Um. So um, and again, you know, and Shubhaji is very much believes in, in karma and rebirth and and I find that those beliefs um, can be uh, you said it very well in the beginning of when you talked about it, but sort of how I would put it is maybe like detrimental to progressive political thinking yeah there's like there's a kernel of you know in, in the Indian tradition there's traditions of renunciation and renunciation is inherently you know leave the world behind and like, you know, say goodbye to the piss and shit. And like, if you want to be politically involved and integrated, you really have to have a kind of householder lens on the whole thing, which actually sees your practice and sees your philosophy as integrating with the cultural environment that you're in. Otherwise, yeah. you know, and, but there's, but, and Vedanta is, you know, I mean, this is of course debatable because some people would disagree, but Vedanta is, is arguably a renunciatory path. And so there's lots of, you know, there's lots of, um, you know, ways of reading it that, you know, implies that you're just trying to kind of mute your individuality and sort of dissolve into the ocean of consciousness and, you know, and that is that is a little you can see that as being contradictory to the process of affirming and recognizing various identities for the purpose of emancipation in various ways. Yeah. 
Yes, that's really well said. So I, I think that um, I used to say, I used to think that, you know, in order to experience yoga, and let's let's define yoga for the fuck of it, just for this conversation, as what I think we're both defining it as, which is, so I say the practice of yoga is the exploration of the essential nature of consciousness, satchit, and uh, how it could, can be defined as satchit ananda. Yeah. Which is colloquially like translated as bliss. I prefer to say like limitless expansion personally. Mm, yeah. Sometimes yeah. I, you're trying to contrast that with like bliss as sort of like, Oh, I'm so happy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I prefer to say, you know, my spiritual name, Shubhaji gave me is Anandi, but um, bliss, I find that English word is very one dimensional and it, and it, it refers to an ending and a beginning of, right? Like I feel blissful and then you don't feel blissful. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Because Ananda is, is limitless, it's infinite, it's it's pure awareness, expansion. Although we where how you describe awareness in here, I really like that sends a little wrench into the situation. Mm -hmm. So so in, in other words, like you're using awareness as the as the um how did you say that? The con the contraction of subjective kind of cognitive like the drish the like the witness, the sakshi is the awareness. Yeah. But so if you're witnessing if you're wit witnessing chit consciousness Satchit, the essential nature of consciousness, the witnessing act is still a, a form. It's still a it's still a prakriti on some level, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, and so, and so in yoga, so the practice of yoga is that, let's say, and in yoga itself, it's witness merges with Brahman, so that there, it's just sometimes I say pure awareness, right? That's the Satchitananda, like. You're no longer aware of something you have yoked with consciousness. So it's just vibratory. I often call it like the ripples of vibratory awareness. And sometimes I call that a somatized consciousness because I'm using movement to get into this and breath. I call it a somatized consciousness, meaning consciousness now is some lately I've used the phrase pre and postlingual. So when you are a baby, you are born with consciousness. I think we'd all agree that babies are consciousness, but the consciousness hasn't been codified. So we, and that's a very fascinating study. Like how do we start thinking? Some people say it's an internalized um, act of what we hear in the external, the mother, and I put quotes around that, the archetypical mother's words. The, the environment has codified consciousness, intellectualized it, and codified by, I mean, language. And then the child internal, oh, sorry, no, the child externalizes it by beginning to mimic and talk. Yeah. And then is learned to internalize. Okay, that's one theory yeah. of how thinking is. So if we go to the prelingual, which is consciousness before language, before it's codified with language, and then post, meaning I'm going to say like the liminal state of death, like the threshold between aliveness and deafness, um, I'm going to call that a version of Satchitananda. And when we merge into that again, we practice, if that's what we want, and that's what I do think yoga is, that's the dissolution. Is what? Is, sorry, is, say is the, is the mer Sorry, so that yoga is when we actually merge into pure consciousness. Got it, and yeah. And dissolve. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's obviously not just me saying that. I think that's a true actual definition. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's you're not pulling that out of your ass. No. <laughs> People think I am. So, and as I always say... Is that I used to think, oh, that's what I want to do, like become enlightened and do that. Then I was like, oh, obviously I don't because I had children and like to fuck and like get high and enjoy life, and, you know. And that, 
And uh, even though there's not much fucking happening, friends, um, <laughs> uh, I'd like to do more of that. Um, I move around. So I shifted my theory. So, okay. So in those days, when I believe that I believe that one had to believe in, and I might not have used the word socialism, but definitely in communal experience because pure consciousness, Brahman is shared by all, right? It's that the most cliche thing, even what some people say namaste means, you know, namaste, I'm trying to say it right, is that, you know, we are all one, right? So that if you, so that if you were a Republican or a Libertarian, you wouldn't believe that. You think we're all individuals striving to get ahead and like going back to the no masters, the no masters would say, why is it my responsibility to protect you? You know, blah, 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 blah. So I would say that was very, I used to say that was very unyogic. Yeah. In order to experience yoga, you have to believe in the community. You have to believe in the good of the community over the good of the self. Yeah. Okay. That said, I obviously in modern postural yoga, there's tons of trumpers, I, I think, you know, practicing movement. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it, even amongst our own intimate community mm. we have very conservative peoples out there um very conservative women who have have even i know been supportive of trump people quite close to us <laughs> yeah i you know i don't know I, this is sort of one of those th things where you know normally i don't mind saying names but i i feel like we can talk about it without saying her name just to um but but I'm I was surprised by that I actually didn't know. Um, so what is her justification for holding that particular view? I have not had a personal discussion with her. I only know this through very close friends that have had a personal discussion, and I think I'm going to say it's probably financial, whether she says that or not. Uh, you know, yeah. because I would say you know to be a Republican, and I of course I get that I'm the kind of person who lumps many Democrats into the same bill. Totally. Of course, it's not. But in order to be fiscally conservative, which I'm going to call a Republican, a Libertarian, and many Democrats, you have to be either an idiot or an asshole. <laughs> you're either an idiot because if you're if you're not rich, you're voting against your own self-benefit. And, you, you, and when I say idiot, I mean that in a sweet, tender way. Yeah. You've not figured out either because you don't have the information under your belt or you've been fed information you don't realize that, that you're voting against your own self-interests. Yeah. And or you're an asshole because you actually know that it's very oppressive to people, fiscal conservatives, and you want it anyways because all you care about is yourself because you're rich and the tax works for you. The, the, the cut in taxes that Trump has only benefited for the wealthy and obviously not just from so many people before Trump, including Democrats. So that said, I will say that the practice of what we think of yoga, of modern partial yoga, in no way requires someone to have intelligent political thinking. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, that, so, so I also see that if we look, I, I somehow like can come full circle, especially how you described what you said, Jacob. Um, like, if we... If it is, if yoga is how we, you and I are sort of defining it in terms of merging into, then on some level you could, I, I realize it really doesn't require socialism because it could actually support libertarianism because it is very much like 
the, the work of the navel gazing, the study of the self, and then you dissolve, that really doesn't require any community contact at all, you know? Yeah. Unless we start bringing in, of course, like the sutras, which are much later than Vedanta, but like the precepts of behavior, you know, which is like nonviolence. And that I think that the sutras bring in a little more of like um, social responsibility. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's, yeah, I, I, so, so when I get it in that, when I start to look at it like that, where I'm like, wait, these practices, these ancient practices, pre-sutras don't really require community activism. And mostly, as I always say, were, you know, of course there's Ananda Maima, like there's some famous women, but really, you know, Ananda Maima is not like taking care of children. Oh, yes, of course there's charitable things that end up being built around some of these gurus, you know? Mm-hmm perhaps help underprivileged no it depends you know and the hugging mother and etc that said nobody's really none of these people are really like doing the schlep schlock work of household yeah um and why what is how does that relate to the work i guess i'm saying like after a, a, a sort of you know half of a lifetime since i'm 50 of doing the schlep schlock schlep schlock work um I don't know. Sometimes I'm just like, do the practices even fucking apply? Like, I think breath work applies, okay? Like, if I'm in a triggered state and I start to, like, try to broaden my, like, perspective into the, you know, savanna field to calm my nervous system and, you know, these these practices that can help to calm nervous system and to calm the breath, yes, that does help me. Other than that, and I know this sounds pessimistic, I honestly can't say that any of the practices have given me any practical help in the like trauma of life, of like being not a rich person, dealing with a husband, the two children, the trying to make a living, the trying to get through the schooling, the cleaning, the da 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 da. Yeah, no, I think I think you bring up a good point, and I think that uh, you know, with so many of these traditions, I think it is easy to follow a kind of what might be the um, the stereotype of kind of the spiritual seeker who is like simply navel gazing and kind of you know going into their own internal world. And I think when that gets aligned with a society that is like hyper individualistic and then there then it kind of supports that it's like oh well i'm this is just like me you know uh, you know acquiring spiritual treasures so that you know i can then you know present myself to the world as this you know essentially you know branded spiritual being and and i think that actually that but the teachings are about um, so when you were talking about how it could support a kind of libertarian view, I think through a certain lens it could, but because libertarianism and also liberal individualism is, you know, is contingent upon a notion of the individual that is autonomous and separate from the world, that is not a view that's supported by contemplative teachings because almost unanimously the contemplative traditions are talking about the deconstruction of the autonomous separate self. Right. It really helps me to hear. I'm like, yes, yes, good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to reject it. Yeah. So I think it's in so I think insofar as we don't pay attention to that aspect of the teaching, 
it can, you know, essentially go the direction that you're describing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for me, it's like if my practices, and for me, I speak mostly of meditation because that's become the most central practice for me over the last five years since I met my teacher. Insofar as my practices are like refining and nourishing and supporting the subtler capacities in my everyday life to respond to other people more effectively, to communicate better, to not react, that's where it comes in but i can still with the wrong social ideology you know use that for ill you know <laughs> you know like yeah. it's not going to yeah. necessarily i still need the supplemental process of actually applying all of those you know embodied skills to the work that needs to be done which is a, a different kind of you know dimension of it all i guess yeah and that's why the, the title of of your work of your platform embodied philosophy it's, is a beautiful title because to me I interpret that as just what you said as the philosophy one has to choose the philosophy <laughs> that one follows and embody it right and so um, so if the philosophy is Vedanta and it's embodied then yes I would say the the politics should follow yes I think that it's important to be you know to really practice um uh, discrimination. Yeah. Which the Sanskrit word I just forgot, even though I say it all the time. Viveka. Thank you. Viveka. At all moments, you know, is what we're, what are we embodying? What do we want? What's the intention? Which is like that with movement too, you know, like when you elevate the shoulder girdle, what is the purpose of that? When you depress it, what the the shoulder girdle, what is the purpose? There's not one way to do it. It's what is it being used for? Yeah. Like what is the movement being used for? And I would, I would say, I would say that with our philosophy too. And all of that said, and I remember that when we last spoke, I said I wanted to make sure to end on what I still like about yoga. <laughs> yeah, we that, didn't we didn't get there, so let's get there. Yeah, and the, so I would say it's just that it's like the feeling of meditation, whether that's through kirtan, which I haven't done in quite a long time, like an actual long kirtan, or sitting in silence and stillness. After usually it's helpful for me to have done a little bit of movement and breath work. To me, there is nothing like that, but it's very personal, you know, very quiet, very internal. But that feeling of Satchitananda, of the expansion of consciousness, is truly still feels blissful to me, still feels so soothing, so spacious and um, and therapeutic that, yes, I have not given that up and I still find it very useful, but I also find it very lucky. You know, very privileged by being able to have, you know, that I'm able to have that, you know, moments of silence, silence and stillness <clears throat> and the, and the, you know, the, the developed skills it requires to get there. Yeah. You know, and, and some of that was just luck, you know, just being like kicked into some rooms where that was happening, you know, and I, and I do think that all people, because I recently did post something that went a little micro viral just since we last spoke. Which one? It was a Marianne Williamson quote. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so funny. And, it was like just yeah, a perfect was, moment after that conversation that, you know, I something know. like that came out by her. Yeah. And it was like, and there's a lot of like pushback too on it with people who are like, oh, yeah, don't you believe no one should take personal responsibility, you know, and da 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 da. I just blocked two dudes because I just couldn't take it anymore. And I looked at <laughs> it was like a, a, a BIPOC conservative person. Mm. You know? and I was like, fuck it. I don't, I don't even want to look at this. <laughs> um, and um, and then and some other dude who like claims he came out of homelessness and homelessness and people were lazy. You know? 
but anyway, that's a different story. Um, but uh, I'm wondering. I, I'm wondering if you also, you know, because I think uh, just to ask you, you know, about your what you appreciate about yoga, and just want to hear if this if you, this is part of your experience as well, because it's certainly. This is where I've like landed is that a part of even though, you know, yoga does in its philosophical tradition have a lot of like things that are absolutes. I mean, you know, Brahman is an absolute, you know, Shiva nature is an absolute. And so there is a tendency to kind of rest in the finality of these things. or It implies, you know, an ultimate rest and a finality of something. Whereas I feel like in embodiment, the way that, you know, what you're talking about, Satya Nanda, the way that that. It eternal is expressed is actually an eternal openness, right? And that openness is also a questioning, an investigating, a discerning, and, you know, always kind of um, deferring, you know, a final resting place and always being open to the possibility of growing, evolving, and, and, and learning more. And, and, um, and for me, that I think is, you know, one of the things that I really kind of, you know, it's even in the Vedas, right? At the beginning of the Vedas, it's like um, one of the, it's the hymn of creation or something. And it's like, you know, where, whence did this come from? You know, where did all of this, how did all of this arise? And then, you know, the gods, know, it says, you know, the gods know, or ha perhaps they don't know, you know? And so but there's this constant like dialectic between knowing and not knowing that I think is to me the, the beautiful aspect of yoga. I agree so much, and it's similar to neti neti. You know, not there's not that. Like, is is it this neti neti? Is am, am I my body neti neti? Am I my children neti neti? You know, and um, and I agree. And again, I will say that ultimately, it's you know, the practice is truly a solo practice. Like, there's nothing there's nothing more potent to eradicate your practice than you know living in close proximity to a person for long periods of time. And so. Um, yeah. Uh, so like that's that's where you know when I'm in trigger state because to me it's other people that trigger me I always say like if I was the Dalai Lama I've repeated this a million times I'll say it again and being fed clothed housed and taken care of I'd fucking be so radical spiritual right now you can't imagine I'd be way better than the Dalai Lama and any of those other people I'd be like so inspirational and I'd be a fucking billionaire um, <laughs> but um but I'm not <laughs> because I got to do shit and argue with my husband and children and like deal with, you know, like the radical behavioral issues of teenagers, um, which truly ages you and uh, puts a little wrench in your practice. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, and I'm not saying that that makes me any better. I'm just saying regular life is fucking hard. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But and I think it's totally legit to not choose that. That's what we started our conversation with. I was like, don't have children, Jacob. And I'm not and I'm too not condescending. Like I believe it's totally legit to focus on embodied philosophy and do your life without kids. And I'm not saying of course I know you have a lifelong relationship and stuff. Um, but you're I think are you still you still have, are still with your partner? No. <laughs> no, no, we, we broke we broke up almost three years ago. Yeah. Oh, well, look at me, way behind the time. You can see the <laughs> You know, listeners, I am single. <laughs> God, this man, if you have not seen him, is ha-ha-ha. I'm literally, like, googly-eyed, staring at him, clear blue eyes. Oh, my God, Alex, you're making me blush. Um. So, all right, so, well, then, you know what I mean, baby. Yeah. 
I absolutely know. No, I, I, I definitely, I mean, one of the things that I have experienced in other spiritual practitioners, you know, is that it, is there is this like, oh, I want to go live in an ashram. I want to go away from society because it makes it easier. Because yeah. like, because having to then, and you know, you know, I love the whole, the idea or thinking about like God is other people, which is really tantric, you know, the tantric idea, like God is other people. So the way you treat other people is the way you treat God, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I don't think I'm treating God very well, but <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I would, I would find it much easier to do. What's it called? What's that thing that everyone brags about? The, that Buddhist practice where it's so tough and hard, the monks, and they're like tortured, you know, and stuff like that? What, that's not Tonglen. Is it, I, that's like the only one I know. <laughs> I know. Whatever that is, I, that's my opinion. I'd rather do that than deal with a 30-year marriage. Oh, God. <laughs> and what would what would he say if he listened to this uh, episode? Well, he's walking out. He already got mad. He knows all about it. I said, I have to go do this 15-minute thing. He's like, and you always have to do something, you know? And you always have to do something. Anyway, so now I got to go. And now for the prequel. I think any of us who are hustling our shit, especially now in COVID, you know? I mean, you've been doing this podcast forever. I'm hustling more than usual, like using my Instagram following in order to sell things because I, and I have the swipe up ability, which is useful, right. To commodify your, your content on Instagram. Like that's the, the one, that's one helpful thing to me in COVID that I'm able to capitalize on the following, but it is also strange and maybe the word is ironic or some people might call it hypocritical. I so far haven't been, like nobody's called me out so far, but I'm sort of waiting for that to happen, that my Instagram feed is somewhat based, especially before COVID, on critiquing, as you well know. And now you've, got a, and now you've got a funnel. So I, I do feel like what – I feel like what I'm selling is still in keeping with my um, morals and whatever, authenticity. I don't like having, you know, I always, I love that I never like put yoga postures on the internet and all that, you know, I, 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 and now I do have to, because it's the only way for me. And I do bring home the bacon through yoga teaching. Like, it's not like I have other income or another job when my husband's not wealthy, you know, and he's part of this digital business too. So, you know, I don't feel like I've changed my teaching and I don't feel like I'm changing what I'm saying on Instagram, but yet I am hustling my yoga shit on Instagram now. And I spend many hours a day making clips of myself doing yoga. You know, I try to keep it on brand, which is like, you know, putting little thought bubbles out of my asshole and pussy that say on demand. (laughs) I. Yeah. But do you so, but do you think um you know it, it, funny because I wanted to actually talk about this because you know of course anybody that knows your yoga classes knows that you you teach with a lot of precision and actually you're a very serious teacher and yet yeah. your your Instagram and your kind of social media public presence is like you know obviously yeah. um very sarcastic very satirical and you know and extremely and provocative in various ways um yeah. and i've noticed that you actually have been using like little clips of your kind of more provocative moments you know talking about a 70s porn or you know how millennials don't get sarcasm you know all these yeah. things that sort of like are kind of you know 
indicative of your kind of public presence. Is there anybody yeah. that's been surprised by you being kind of a serious teacher behind that, you know, the that sort of performative facade? That's a great question. And in the past, before COVID and before, yeah, before I had to like sell the yoga online, I, I always did wonder, like, there, there's definitely a, a discrepancy between the my Instagram followers and my yoga students or people who are interested in me for yoga. And I think, and I never had a lot of yoga students. I mean, and, and like, you know, I had my little brick and mortar and honestly, on average, I had 10 people a class, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, oftentimes I was teaching four people in the room. No and way. When I came to your oh, class in, in Philadelphia, it was really packed. It was like a Saturday morning. Yes. Yeah, so Saturday mornings, that's the only time it's packed, which is, and okay. packed for us is 24 people. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the room, the room was full at 28. That's the most we could fit in. And honestly, I never even had, I never had, to, I never taught a single class where I had to turn somebody away. Mm. So even on Saturday mornings, we didn't have 20, more than 28 people, you know? Um, and I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's not, I'm not that kind of teacher. And I don't know exactly why, even at Kula, like I never really packed the room, you know, like yeah. I would never have the person with like the 40 students. Um, so I know I haven't answered your question yet, but um, <laughs> you'll get there. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it, the Instagram doesn't, the Instagram following, whatever, you know, the, the large, so-called large, I mean, small compared to many, but large for me doesn't translate to yoga students. And it was very interesting. The first, uh, digital, the first live class I taught, which is very early on in COVID, I had 400 people sign into it. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, at $10 a pop. And I was like, we're rich. <laughs> Amazing. I was like, I finally got rich. Um, I was like $4,000 a class. Whoa. I mean, and you know, I knew it wouldn't last, but I thought maybe it would translate more to like a hundred people, but it basically went steadily, steadily down now. And I'm, I'm back to five people a class. Um, no, so no, you're, I, you've got, you must have more than that. Well, we don't, my live, the live doesn't get a lot of people. I have, I, you know, whatever, this is boring because it's like, I switch, you know, I'm trying to keep the members, yada, yada, yada. So we're doing fine with mm. the on-demand situation. Nick, like, set it up well, my husband, so it works. But honestly, in the live classes, it's not that many people. It's like 15 sometimes, less 10. But, um, I, but the nice thing I about the – sorry, yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say – I, I was thinking about that, and I still know I didn't answer your question. I will say that, yes, some people are surprised that I'm a serious yoga teacher. but um, And I try to put little clips sometimes that have my actual yoga teaching in it, you know, what how what I feel represents what I teach. And But I don't know, like, whether the, it was just the, you know, um, mass hysteria of all these live classes that happened those first couple weeks of COVID, or if there is something about the way I teach that wasn't trans, you know what I mean? I'm like, Hmm, did like, did it drop down so much because people thought I was something else? Like, and I never know whether that something else was like, they want more workout sweaty class or, you know, who knows? Or be, I did make a lot of very provocative political jokes that first week. Maybe they hated that, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, everyone was kind of, you know, Zoom happy in those initial weeks. And it really was just like it skyrocketed, I think, pretty much everywhere. And then, yeah. you know, people kind of settled back into, you know, their sort of like lazy habits and and um, or, or various, you know, 
ways of doing things. Um, so we already kind of are, you know, in the interview now, and I'm not going to do this sort of like stop and like, I'll read your bio, which is what I normally do. But I do kind of want to step back and just give some context yeah. for our conversation, because obviously I'm super excited to talk to you. And for those who um, are newer to the podcast, um, Alex was episode number eight, which wow. was five years ago now, Alex. Can you believe that? That is so crazy. It seems like yesterday we sat in that the sweet little room of Pula that's now closed down. Yeah, is it closed officially? Yeah, so the oh, William no. patient is gone. Everything's emptied out. But <gasps> yeah. I didn't but even know that. No, it's so sad. I actually felt more sad about that than closing my own place down because my we got rid of my our lease too very early on. Oh, so Magu's done as well. Magu is done. I mean, I still use Magu Yoga for the digital platform, but the brick and mortar's gone. The lease was up, and we were just like, we need to cut loose here. Yeah, what are you I gonna do? Yeah. I mean, I don't think brick and mortars are going to make it at all. It's really just know. completely decimated the, the, the studio world. It's not like how, how could one reopen before the vaccine? I don't see that at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, summertime, sure. I think everyone's going to try to hold on. And Nikki does still have a, a cooler location. And who knows, maybe she can hold on long enough or, or all the people who can, and then there will be a vaccine and then it will be okay. But honestly, how I don't see how anyone can pay the rent with social distancing and a yoga studio and mask. I'm not going to, I would never go to a group class with a mask on. That seems awful. Oh God. No. No. Exercising so just, with a mask just in general just seems disgusting. No, I don't, <laughs> I don't see how. No. Yeah. So anyway, so five years ago, like you said, we were yeah. in the back room of Kula now gone. That's incredibly sad. Um, it was also, you know, you had just found social media. I mean, it was pretty recent, mm -hmm. right? Like this was the age of Haynes Her Way videos, um, yes. uh, which you've kind of evolved <laughs> a little bit from now. Um, yeah. And the, the, the topics that we explored in that episode were... Uh, well, the title of the podcast was, it's very long. Uh, I, I've been <laughs> using much shorter titles now, but Alex Otter on a, on counterculture critiques of a commodified yoga scene, Vedanta and facing death. So, you know, <laughs> no, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we really went, ran the whole gamut. Um, but, you know, of course, the, 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 the longstanding tradition, you know, uh, grounded in this first podcast was, you know, skewering the yoga community, um, which you did so well. <laughs> so, um, and, and continue to do so well in your Instagram presence. And, you know, another thing that's changed over the last five years, of course, is that you actually have have evolved quite a significant following. You know, you have, um, uh, you, uh, you were um, featured in the New York Times, which I just read that article actually this morning. I, I actually didn't know about it. Um, and then, um, sorry to say, <laughs> um, can you believe it? How dare Fucking I? Times. <laughs> I mean, it was incredible. I mean, to be called yoga's Instagram prov provocateur, provocateur, that must have been uh, like a beautiful moment for you. It was, um, I will say it was very vindicating on many levels, yeah. uh, <laughs> only because, you know, I had been told to pipe down a few times by Oh, hours. I bet. Oh, I yeah. bet. And I want to hear more about that. Um, yeah. You also were called one of the most influential yoga teachers by Sonima, which happened kind of soon after, I think, our initial interview. I, okay. And and you now ha also have a podcast called 15 Minutes of a with Alex, which I haven't been invited to be a guest on, but that's fine. Um, you will. You <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> and you have attracted on Instagram now a following of over 17,000 people, which, you know, it might not be like, you know, Caitlyn Jenner um, volume, but it's it's pretty big. Um, so 
How has that all been, you know, you know, from Haynes her way till now, how has this um, <laughs> evolving five years of increased kind of popularity and recognition in the yoga community um, landed for you? Um, you're sweet. Um, you're good at this, by the way. Now that I'm podcasting thanks. as thanks. well, I'm taking notes on how at, uh, how smooth you are. Um, oh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> you know, it's so weird, like, as I approach 50, I'm 49, that, like, I never would have thought I would have cut off my pinky finger before I believed that I would have been, you know, that, like, the traject, like, that, that a lit a marker for the trajectory of my quote unquote success would be my Instagram following, you know, <laughs> like that yeah, it's a little ironic truly was not in the plan, um, at all. But, um, yeah, I will, I'll say that I do, I feel a sense of satisfaction that my critique that I do feel of, of, the social media persona of wellness, yoga, spirituality was recognized in a mainstream publication that has a fair amount of heft and did really, I will say, Katie Rosman, who I jokingly call my biographer, who was the writer of that article, you know, I felt she did a good job in representing it. And honestly, it was a matter of three days that I got those 17,000 followers. And I, I actually probably had more and that's gone slow. You know, that went slowly down and sort of stays out <laughs> 7,500. So, and I felt that was a good sign too, you know, like, cause yeah, you, absolutely. Read, I, you read one of those articles, you just press, press click to follow, you know, I've done that a million times. Then you're like, what the fuck is this? You know? <laughs> so I think that especially when I start posting, you know, certain things like, pro Bernie Sanders posts and, you know, kind of calling, for example, uh, Lacey Phillips, is that her name of, of to be magnetic, the manifestation lady guru, I call her a white supremacist, things like that. I, I think people, yeah. un pretty, you know, I think there was a good couple thousand, because I think I was up at like 19,000 at one point, unclicked, you know, so I, I keep steady, I keep a steady 17,500 because you know, there's Those like your diehards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it felt, I won't, I won't lie. It felt damn good. And especially, you know, every, you know, the New York times as, as, uh, maybe unfair as it is, is such a, a marker for, for success for people, you know, oh, if you're yeah. recognized in the New York times that I did kind of want to be like, and fuck you too. It was like how I felt when I gave birth with both kids. Cause every time I was pregnant, people would be like, Oh, you're going to have, Oh, that baby's huge. You are fucking huge. You're going to have a huge baby. And every time the head came out, you know, and I had home birth and I was in a water tub, literally my first thought was like, fuck all y'all. This baby's a fucking seven pound, 14 ounce average weight baby. That's how I <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to literally hold the baby up and go find all the fuckers on the street that told me I was having a big baby and be like, wrong, bitch. And that's how I felt when the New York Times article came out. Wow, that's incredible. Is there anything that you would have changed about that article or like that you wish had been kind of represented differently or are you pretty satisfied with it? Yeah, I do. I mean, so a couple mm, – a couple of times, I never, I didn't even know there's like comment section. I think a I might have glanced at a couple comments and people were like, ah, it's all, she's just, it's just because she's, you know, a product of all these celebrities, like my parents, you know? Mm. And then since then, a couple of times, someone mentioned the name dropping, but um, 
you know, at the same time, I get like, I have no problem with that. Like if my, I have pretty like a deadbeat broke parents, except for my stepmother, you know, Cindy Sherman, who's mm -hmm. very well, but my dad and mom who I love, but they are like literally don't have a penny to their name. So if I can use their names to get a little bit ahead, I'm fine with that. You know what I mean? If that's going to help me put some food on the table, great. And then the other thing is, you know, and Katie told me this pretty clear, and I don't think she minds me talking about this, the New York Times journalist. Um, you know, I kept trying to steer it a little more more towards the political, you know, towards I, I would word things which we'll get to, I hope, today in a way. And she was like, you know what, that's too complex for the, for, for the Times, for the style section. And she she got it. She understood it, but she was like, "That's going to be too much." You know, yeah. Like when I want to talk about like the the internalized neoliberalism, one of the of the wellness industry and the voice. I I'm sort of like honing in on it these days. How like the wellness industry is the voice of the woman. Like I would I would use the pronoun female for the wellness industry. You know, mm -hmm. but the 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 woman has internalized the voice of the quote unquote, the man and the man being the corporate powers that be, you know, and I would say that the corporate powers are the voice of neoliberalism. And so on some level, the, the woman, the wellness industry voice, if the pronoun is a woman, it is actually the voice of the man. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. We can get more to that. If you want, but... Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, one of the things I just wanted to uh, ask just to kind of uh, put our current conversation maybe into a little bit more context is just to ask you, you know, obviously there were certain, um, there was a, a certain kind of spirit of the yoga community at the time of our last interview, things change yeah. rapidly in five years, right? Things really do change. And, um, and I think, you know, that time was like the Babarazzi was very fresh. We talked a lot yeah. about that. And, um, and it seems a little bit, like you would imagine there to be another website that would have served that function. Um, I know. And something hasn't really evolved or emerged really. Um, but, you know, what do you think has changed? Do you think that uh, the yoga community has become more self-aware, less self-aware? Is there like a positive kind of self-reckoning mm -hmm. that's take, that's been taking place um, over the last five years or especially recently? Or do you think it's the same old schlock? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm tempted to say same old schlock. <laughs> um, no, I, I think, I know it's sad. I wish there's so many people who'd never heard of and don't know what the Babarazzi is and you can still access the, the yeah. website. Um, and I, I would love someone to like, I don't know. I wish they'd be in the New York times, you know, like, because I, it, it's sad to me. It's so hard to describe what, what they did. Mm. And it was, this, you know, anonymous, web this anonymous writer that I think was many writers I actually know who the main person was and um yeah, same. you do yeah and um and I'm very good friends now with his ex-wife who's gay but was married to him for a while um oh, okay odd. um yeah so uh who I adore and she just closed her brick and mortar too in Brooklyn anyway um Sad. which one was hers? uh yeah. Juniper her name is Deborah um B -A -A oh, Juniper studio where was that um, in, um, uh, oh my God, she will laugh so hard. I always forget the neighborhood. I'm like, so idiotic <sighs> Brooklyn, but I've been East there. Williamsburg, perhaps. It's like, you know, it's near, um, uh, Fort Greene, that neighborhood. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, very yeah. Clinton Hill. Clint, I think so. Oh my God. I'm so embarrassed. Oh, I'm going to have to look it up while we're talking because it's really embarrassing. I um, mean, you lived in New York for how many years? I know, Alex? but you, you know, know I'm, that's an old <laughs> 
New Yorker I am that I still don't. You never know went Brooklyn. to Brooklyn. <laughs> yes, at that old school, I swear to you. Um, oh that's God. how pathetic it is. When I was in high school, we, I went to like two Brooklyn parties. Nobody went to Brooklyn. I mean, except of course, like you know, Brooklyn people. Which <laughs> um, love is Juniper on Vanderbilt Avenue, six thirty nine Vanderbilt. Uh, what's that neighborhood called? I have no idea. No. Okay. Maybe Clinton Hill. Anyway, I think it's fine. We can cut this out. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cut it out. Cut uh, and cut. (laughs) All right. Take two. Take two. So, uh, the Barbarazzi, um, I wish they were still around and why did nothing come about? Well, I feel like they inspired me quite a bit, you know? So I, I would say that part of my, you know, if we could call it work, was was a branch of, of the Barbarazzi. Um, you know, Instagram, again, because I'm old, I'm late to the table on social media. During that time, Jacob, was Instagram a thing at all when Barbarazzi was posting stuff? I don't, I think it was really, there wasn't the kind of, you know, narcissistic, like, over-presentation of one's kind of work or experience. I think initially it was, you know, Instagram, it was around for maybe, it was probably, it must be almost 10 years old now, but I think initially it was more just like sharing pictures of your friends and blah, blah, blah. It wasn't like about your own personal brand. And I think it's interesting yeah. if you look, if you look at like it, people's Instagram feed who have been on Instagram for a really long time, yeah. there is this movement, you know, and this just kind of general acceptance of increasingly like self you know selfies just like it moved from being like oh photos of my life photos of my environment like this is you know this is me and my friends you know on a a picnic or something and then suddenly it's just like selfie 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 and then you know in the gay male world it's selfie without a shirt on of course and you know six pack and abs yes yes that's absolutely true i've noticed that too when i've been really like like digging deep into somebody's profile you know some trolling them or lurking and I've, and I've gone way back to the beginning. Yes, I've noticed that as well. Um, and yeah, so I so I do, I think it got worse after the Barbarazzi, but now during COVID, because of the amazing rebellions, protests for Black Lives Matters and against police brutality, yeah. I think that, and against really systemic racism, which starts, is now I've noticed becoming more against anti-capitalist thinking too, which is... I think really wonderful. I have noticed that there is a little bit, maybe it could just be tokenism, but like when I posted um, yesterday, a little thing I wrote, cause I'm always trying to like, I feel like I'm always saying the same thing over and over again in different ways. Right. Maybe that's yeah. what we all do. And I woke up early one morning, I couldn't sleep and I'd seen somebody's post, um, a wellness leader, not a huge one, someone we both know. And I won't mention their name actually, but um, okay. I saw her post. It's very easy to find out who it is. Um, very super, like you know, super simple. We've seen this a million times. I'll I'll read it to you. Um, uh, getting your shit together requires a level of honesty you can't even imagine. There's nothing easy about realizing you're the one that's been holding you back this whole time. So fucked up. 
yeah, and it's a very recent post. And I feel like that is what I'm always talking about. But I realized that a lot in a lot of my videos that came after the Hainzer way, my doll and sheepskin videos where I use the American Girl dolls, I'm constantly, that's the undercurrent of what I'm speaking to, that um, internalized neoliberalism. But I don't think people always get that, you know, it's because it's very, um, obviously it's, I'm using humor and very weird uh, layers over that. So I never say that straight out, you know, yeah. in my videos. So sometimes when I do a post this time, I just took the quote and, you know, wrote inherently racist on it and like put some red lines and wrote no. And then I added, I mean, should I read the paragraph I added just because yeah, I, I think, I think you should. Yeah. Because I, I want to really unpack for people why that's inherently racist so people can okay. understand. Yeah. Okay. And it's, and I don't, you know, this might not, we can, you will have your own way of saying it. Maybe, well, this is what that morning I was like, this is what I want to say to that, you know? And, uh, the wellness industry made up of individual women's voices has internalized the voice of neoliberalism, which is the voice of the man, quote unquote, the man, the man is the corrupt corporate power that runs America, which I spelled with a K mm -hmm. in order to Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You need both the boots and the straps to begin with. Neoliberalism wants you to believe that the individual is responsible for her own financial success failure, when the truth is that what's really pinning us to the ground is the great hoax of trickle-down theory, which is also the source of systemic racism. Don't believe the hype. And I had a little more stuff in my stories that I put in that I saved in the highlights and you know, I'm, we could, I feel like we could talk forever about this and there's so many different ways to approach it, but a couple, you know, most that, you know, got, I hate saying these things. It's so dumb to talk and how many likes you got, but for example, that got like 1,800 likes. Whereas like my little yoga post got like 30 likes, you know, my little yoga picture post, mm -hmm. like trying to my class that day, you know, so, which I like, I'm into that. So I, people are hungry for this, I think. And there was tons and tons of comments, like, you know, um, hundreds of comments, 139 comments, I guess not hundreds, but, um, and uh, very little pushback, a couple of, one dude said, you know, you have no idea what you're talking about. Of course it's up to the individual, you know, and one woman told me I didn't understand my own power, you know? <laughs> <laughs> to which you say... <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. Um, I, and I actually, which I said, I thought I had a good answer, but I was like, I totally get my power as a privileged yeah. white woman. And in fact, that's why I'm saying this. I'm using yeah. my power to expose that us white ladies who are, you know, lucky enough to earn a modest living doing what we love, which I consider yeah. myself able to do what I love, you know, have power. Yeah. Well, I mean, another way of getting to that point, of course, is that like we all like the idea that if you just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, which is an inherently liberal idea that says, you know, all resources essentially come from within, of course, is completely ignorant. Yeah. Essentially what you're saying that there's there are contextual circumstances. There are, you know, structured systems of oppression, institutionalized systems of oppression that, you know, m that limit many people's uh, capacity to, to seek out, you know, various things. And so, uh, it's, it's one of the, it's, it basically, and it's very kind of, um, 
It's ignorant of those of those structures, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, I don't think the person who wrote it is racist. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is what we're trying to get at right now in this time, like in this moment during this covid pandemic. Amazingly, the country has been gutted open. And when we look inside, we're getting at this shit, which is great. I'm so happy that we're doing this. And so that the people who believe this, they're deeply you know, they've been deeply um, hypnotized by, in my opinion, my humble opinion, by um, late stage capitalism and really neoliberalism, because this is a woman writing this who's doing well for herself and is a great yoga teacher. I've taken her class many times. And yet she's not really able to see past, you know, I know she also was selling doTERRA oils. It's all built up into the multi-level marketing system it's sad because actually she it's women are being told and it's true. And it's what I was saying too. I do have to like hustle my shit to survive. We're still in the system. So I still have to hustle. If I chose to exit the system, like that would be a violence towards my family. Right. Cause I wouldn't be able to like, yeah. feed my kids or pay the rent. So we still have to participate in the system. And that's why I think that one can participate in the system and still critique it. Right. And I've yeah. gotten a lot of pushback in the past about like, well, you're, you're a hypocrite. You yeah. Sell yoga classes, you know? Yeah. And it's like that is like saying that you can't live in America and critique America. That's the one of the one last beautiful things about America that we're, we are lucky enough to be able to critique the system, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, I get that these women are just trying to figure their shit out and do well, you know, and make a living. But I do think that many of them are blind to the fact that pushing these aphorisms about, it's all, it only applies to them. So for example, someone who's quite privileged, beautiful, I'm going to say white woman, I know there's, I'm sure there's plenty of people of color who, you know, believe in these things as well. You know, I mean, it's not like exclusive to white women. Yeah. Um, but um, that, yes, that meant that does work. Like you could meditate a bunch and think about being financially successful and and like that you're you are your own obstacle to success if you're like a neurotic fucking wealthy white lady yes our neuroses are our obstacles and then things like landmark meditation you know um uh, self-help books do apply because that is all that person they just need that little awareness the the heart of yoga those those principles can work for that kind of person yeah right like yeah, exactly you know but for many people it's so their their lives are so far um so held down by economic injustice that yeah. it i do think of it as a violence to say that out loud to a large if you have, especially if you have a large following yeah um i think of that as actually very dangerous information yeah, I mean, and what's also interesting about it is, and I don't know who this person is, I'm going to dig for it later. <laughs> um, but, you know, I imagine that this individual, like most people in the yoga community right now, are at least paying lip service to Black Lives Matter. So yeah. one of the things that's interesting is that there seems to be no awareness of the conflict between yeah. the ideology of this statement and yeah. the support of the movement, right? Exactly. And- Exactly. And, and I, so true. Yes. And that's what I, you know, am obsessed with, with, with trying to reveal in a way that's not going to like, you know, 
make enemies. I mean, because if we make enemies out of everybody, which I've done, then you no longer <laughs> dialogue, right? And yeah. so, you know, and I, I, I made an enemy very early on by, and I will say this woman's name because she blocked me and I think she's such an idiot that I don't mind saying her name. <laughs> and I've known her forever and her name is Jessica Bellafato. Okay. Um, and okay. she is an original Jiva Mukti teacher and now lives in the Hamptons and okay. teaches, you know, sup yoga. And she's an excellent yoga teacher. I've taken her class years ago and she's true. She's a quite talented yoga teacher. She's blonde, crystal blue eyed, gorgeous, has two kids, lived in the Hamptons and is a no masker, like a proud no masker and posting and an anti-vaxxer and posting things on Facebook that are really insane, like trying to take down a, an independent health food store in the Hamptons. Like she's participating in trying to take these people down because they're forcing people to wear masks because they ask. So they they ask this anti-vaxxer like doctor that everybody in the Hamptons goes to to put on a mask and he got mad and now she's writing like write them a letter and meanwhile she's hosting summer camp for kids in the Hamptons on paddle boards which I'm fine with I think that's perfectly safe to be out on a paddle board outside you know da 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 but I mean what you know the representation of her persona is truly um incongruent like you're you're trying to get kids to come take your paddleboard and yet at the same time you're trying to take down a local health food store for people to wear masks you know and she posts and you know, you know, all these no maskers are co coinciding with anti-vaxxers. And I know people who are listening to this will say, because I'm sure there's plenty of anti-vaxxers who listen to this. And I, of course, question. And you know, the hashtag is wake up. You know, you've seen this, right? Hmm. Which I find so condescending. Like I was fucking questioning vaccines before, you know, people knew what the fuck wake up was. You know, like of course we question big pharma. Those of us who are critical thinkers. But I find it so um, um, myopic, the vision. Like, can't there be an and and an and? Like, we can question big pharma. We can be woke. We can also choose to vaccinate our kids because we realize that there's a greater good. We can, I get that, like, you know, women, we should have the ability to choose which vaccines we want, you know, that there are maybe too many called for, but that's another story. The ha it's also this anti-Bill Gates thing, you know, they think Bill Gates is the devil. Of course, Bill Gates is crazy or weird. I'm not going to say crazy, is weird and has way too much money, but they think he's the devil, you know, because he's um, gives a lot of money to vaccines, you know, to vaccine research. Oh, right. Okay. And okay. they say he owns the WHO, which there's probably some truth to, but... Um, and now they say that masks are unhealthy and actually like create more Corona. There's a, like, insane, it's such insane suedo science, like that it, like, it like stimulates Corona within your body. Tons, tons of people in our yoga world, wellness industry believe this. And well, what, you know, what is it really? Cause it's really interesting. I was, I was actually listening to the BBC, which is sometimes, you know, uh, yeah. nice because you kind of get a little glimpse of America from, you know, maybe not that yeah. different of a culture, I, yeah, but at least yeah. something different. And, you know, and it was, it, it it put into perspective just like the rest of the world doesn't see this public health issue doesn't you know contort this public health issue into a political issue that like pits people on opposite sides of a problem and it's like what is it about american culture you know from your perspective that yeah. that turns a public health issue into something like this like with this no masker bullshit I'm fascinated by it. I, that's what I actually, like, I want to find someone to have on my podcast um, that to really dig in to this with. And I can't, yeah. I want like, I want like a very 
sarcastic, like humorous, dark, but super smart person to like dig into this with me. And maybe that's us. Maybe that's you and me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, because so another one of the hashtags that Jessica uses, and I noticed the people who are into this use is sovereignty, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sovereignty, Um, right. So yeah, sovereignty. I always I say that wrong. Is it sovereignty? So, yeah, sovereignty. Yeah. yeah. I always say sovereignty. I'm uh, sort of known for this <laughs> like very common words. Um, uh, don't cut it out. Um, so um, I need people to know that I'm a real person who makes mistakes. Um, um, I'm going to be so, so surprised, and, Alex. So what blocked? What what got me blocked on Jessica's page is that I I went you know what sometimes if I have a tequila and I have no patience I'll just make a really, you know, fucked up comment. And I get so annoyed that I'm blocked because I, I love, it's such a pastime to like fucking lurk on these idiot, idiocracy. Um, but um, so I said, hi, I'm a Trumper and I follow Alex Jones. And he told me that this was a great page to come to, to find my people. I would like to bring a gun to the Hamptons farmer's market um, with some of you next time to protect my rights to not wear a mask. She blocked me right um, but, uh, like, you know, it's the mentality of don't tread on me. So I think the political, the political thing is super fascinating. The question you ask because I think it's really indicative of this wild West of America that, yeah. that we're in this wild West, that it's, that these, somebody like Jessica has no idea. I mean, maybe she does, but I don't think she does that. She's basically promoting libertarian ideals, right? I need yeah. my personal freedom is all that matters. And when in fact, they're, they all say that, like, when you put the mask on, you're being submissive to the state, right? It's really interesting, and and that you and that what are that all of us need to wake up and not see that our personal freedoms are being tread upon when they don't realize they're being cucked, which is a word I like to use by the market. They're being cucked by corporations. They don't see that it's corporations who run America, that when the state has power, we would all have more freedom because we'd be given healthcare, we'd be given a good public education, we'd be given affordable housing, like nations that have democratic socialism, whereas we're actually totally cucked, all our freedoms are taken away because it's the it's the man that's running things, the boss of the corporations, you know, it's like yeah. four men, four white yeah. men. You know, Rupert Murdoch, uh, Jeff Bezos, I mean, you know, it's like that, and it's so, it, it makes me crazy that these people don't see that. Not saying you don't want to ma- wear a mask is actually being cucked by them. And no maskers are inherently racist because two times more black people are dying of COVID than white people. Exactly. So what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to disseminate information, but you know, who knows how far that will go because I f- feel like it's, it's, it's so far down the rabbit hole of this kind of good and evil mentality. I mean, I really find, I mean, even in the last five years, just, I mean, because of course in the last five years, Trump has become elected. We've seen this massive rift in our culture. I mean, I am really like, it's, uh, you know, do you feel like it's more of the same or do you feel an intensification of the culture wars to like an uglier and uglier degree? I think an intensification, ugly and uglier degree. And I think that with, like you can see, and because I do still dabble on Facebook and that's where Jessica's writing these things, I I get annoyed with myself too. You know, I think that's how I start talking about that because I I do want to be able to disseminate information in a way that's palatable and digestible, but maybe it's not possible, you know, in these Facebook comments threads. I I often decide it's not possible. 
Like nobody, what I wish I could get back on Jessica's page and say like, do you, do you see the inherent racism in saying you're not going to wear a mask? You know, I, 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 I might use my husband's profile to go in there, you know, to say that. But, um, um, but I think that it's worse and worse. And I think it's going to continue to get worse. The culture wars, because also I, I feel bitter and angry at, you know, our people at so-called liberals and Democrats, you know, because I do feel that, that we've been as progressive. We were let down by, um, identity politic, for example, yeah. the Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders issue. I'm still upset about that. I'm still mad that many of my very close friends didn't see that Bernie was a better choice and now and still blame Bernie for Hillary's thing. And I hate bringing it up because I know it starts to bring this whole divisive thing. People are like, we can't be divisive. We have to stay together. But I don't know if I agree with that. Like, like I will vote for Biden, but I'm fucking depressed about it. And I yeah. think he's a I think he's a blind, babbling, you know, uh, delusional racist from hell that doesn't realize he's racist, like same as the wellness people. You know what I mean? Like he he doesn't know what the hell he just follows the fucking tide of the Democratic Party, which was super racist. The Clintons were involved with in all the you know, everything I think we all know, the crime bill um, busing, all of that shit that everyone all of the other Democrats basically were hounding him in the in the um, debates, and now of course they they supported him, you know, because nobody want because everyone's scared of Bernie, and then they went oh, and then they suddenly are like eviscerating him at the at the debate table, and now he's the greatest person to run the country. I mean, it's the most hypocritical, crazy shit. Our our fucking political system, and uh, but yeah, sure, I'll vote for the bumbling idiot, and um, because like we have no other choice, but like yeah, sorry, no, he's not any better than any other fucked up person who's been promoting systemic racism since Reagan times, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was really surprised actually that everyone thought he was the solution because he just feels like more of the same. He's just an extension of really Hillary. Like why would people think that that is going to inspire the kind of people that were disappointed in that way of doing things beforehand. And of course, there's always the question of, you know, or like the role of sexism in Hillary's yeah. loss, of course. Um, sure. But I just, you know, it seemed pretty obvious to me that we actually need someone like Bernie to beat this bastard, you know? Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, and I get it. Like our, our whole, you know, our whole um, primary situation is so messed up right so i get it yes i admit bernie didn't get the fucking black vote in the south you know and that fucked him and yeah. he did and the youth didn't come out enough and that fucked him that said i i would cut off which i think i already cut off one pinky finger today in a talk i'm gonna cut off another pinky finger i would say that i bet he would win the primary if he was our if he if if we had bernie as the nominee and we were and we go into the primary in november i actually would cut off a couple other fingers to bet he would win <laughs> yeah. um but i i you know, I do see with, with the Elizabeth Warren stuff, I, I definitely was m more swayed towards the sexism issue. Like I saw when I look back, I was like, okay, yeah, it was definitely an issue. Of course it was an issue for Hillary, but so many other things were also an issue for Hillary, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and it's very, you know, I, in our, in the climate, it's very hard to talk about that, right? It's very hard to say that yes, there was sexism, but also Hillary has extremely, um, 
uh, powerful neoliberal policies that she supports, you know, that are dangerous um, for the country. Um, and by dangerous, I mean that are the fuel of systemic racism and economic injustice. Um, but, and Elizabeth Warren, I do love and did love and would have been perfectly, wonderfully happy with her. I could have gone either way with Bernie or Elizabeth. And, but, and then you see the crazy hypocrisy of identi identity politics with people who love, love Warren and hate Bernie. I'm like, that makes no fucking sense. If someone wants to write me and tell me how you could love Elizabeth Warren and hate Bernie, please do. And I want an intelligent paragraph on that that is Printable. If you can write me that, anybody listening to this, I'll take it. And I okay. So t can you yeah. say, say more about about that? Uh, because I know yeah. what you're talking about, but I'm not sure that some of the listeners will like okay. when you're describing sort of um, the way in which kind of the the Democratic Party, the liberal kind of establishment, as we might call it now, has been taken over by identity politics. Uh, what is it that you're specifically um, uh, talking about and what is okay. the alternative in terms of like a, a different kind of left sort of thinking? Yes. Great question. I don't one. I'll say I'll answer the end part now is that I don't know what the alternative is, to be honest, because I'm feeling very pessimistic. About it, and I just don't know. Like, I'm not smart yeah. enough. Like, to get, I need I, I'm not that kind of you know, leader, if I'm a leader at all, I, I need someone to give me an alternative and then I'll support it, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, cause I don't fucking know. But, um, what I would say about, you know, trying to parse out that question, which is super hard, you know, to answer and talk about, but I would say that because of, you know, because of Trump and all, and his violent narcissism, misogyny, and really I would say the one, the one if he has any ideology, it's white supremacy, in my opinion. Like I, I didn't in the before he became president, I would say I didn't actually really know that he was truly a white supremacist. You know, I actually didn't get that. I thought he was just kind of crazy and dumb and a narcissist. Yeah. And I all yeah. and I always like he has no ideology. Like he'll just go whatever way, you know. But now I do see. Oh right, he does, and he's a fucking deep white supremacist. You know. Yeah. Um, and it's chilling. Um. So I think, and, and a deep, deep, deep misogynist, which is more common, I think, you know, for yeah. male men in power. Um, but he's just a little more raunchy and open about it, you know? So I think because of that misogyny, the identity politic with the Republican Democrat got really, you know, the culture wars got really separated. So everyone, you know, the pussy hat wearing feminist, the, the she boss mentality got pushed to the forefront. And in my opinion, the she boss pussy wearing hat mentality is returning back to what we were just speaking about is the same kind of mentality. Of course, there are true progressive feminists within that group, but there's many women in power who are the kind of women who basically believe that neo-spiritual wellness speak. It's, you know, you, it's up to you. We can all get ahead. The American dream is real. If you work hard enough, you'll get ahead. Um, there's a little piece of the pie, a little drips of the trickle down for everybody. I do feel like that's wrapped up in the ideology of the she boss, you know, of like the, you know, what's that big workspace that just got taken down. Um, it's called oh like, um, we I work, know. we, uh, no, not we work that as well. Oh, we work is still alive. Yeah. There's a big feminist one run by this major, like, young woman that recently got pulled down because they were not paying WOC and 
BIPOC basically in general, they were treating BIPOC badly and not paying them well. There was all this internal shit, mm. but they were, they were like, I'm sure people listening will know. I can't remember. It's called like the, I almost want to say the well or something, but I don't know what it's called. And, um, they had, you know, they had like Chanel products in the bathroom and they, they brought busloads of women to the, to the, to the, um, women's March in 2016. And anyways, they just got completely, the, the woman had to step down and apologize. And there was like wow. a big takedown on social media. But so, but, um, so I would say that that style women like Sarah Sophie Flicker, for example, do you know who that is? No, I don't. Okay. She's, I know her, I know her personally and she's a lovely woman. Um, and she was a major Elizabeth Warren supporter mm-hmm. and, um, she did switch to Bernie. I would, I'm going to say, and I'm putting words in her mouth because she told me she absolutely would in person. She told me she would absolutely support, support Bernie if Warren didn't make it, but it was reluctant. Do you know what I'm saying? And she was very mm-hmm. mad at Bernie people. And she was promoting that Bernie bro thing, which is complete bullshit. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's some Bernie bros out there, but there's also Hillary Clinton gals out there. You know, what's the difference between a Clinton gal telling me I'm an asshole and a Bernie, you know, like it's <laughs> like, there's no difference in when you're trying to take down. But so my point is that as if, if I truly am behind the policy, not the, not the identity, not the pronoun of the candidate, I'm, I'm getting back to my point now. To me, the policies are important, whether, not whether the person is a man or a woman, whether they're trans, whether they're black, white, brown, does not matter to me. I care about the policies and my, and I care about policies that promote economic justice and will help to eradicate systemic racism and economic justice, in my opinion, are again, part of systemic racism and fem- and are feminist. So to me, that's democratic socialist idea- ideals. Um, so I think Elizabeth Warren and Bernie had almost the exact same policies literally the only difference was that elizabeth warren was a republican when bernie sanders had already been fighting for those same ideals right that's my one critique of her yes but she intelligently saw that she was wrong and switched great respect that bernie was just doing it longer that's all he's always been the same he's always always had the same policy since he was a young man unlike clinton and warren um but um but warren seem to be proving that she truly was is behind those policies and through her studies of the bubble and of of um the way money worked in government she turned she switched she switched from republican democrat because she did deep research and found out that in fact the republican policies were um inherently as she would say systemically racist and and unjust you know economically unjust so what I would say is the people who were loved Warren, there were, there were many people who said like Warren was the person and also no way Bernie, never Bernie. Mm. I do not understand that. That's yeah. to me, you're just saying identity politics. Like how could you believe in Warren's policies, which Bernie is the one who brought to the forefront. The only reason why Warren had a chance was because of Bernie in 2016. Um, so that shows me that many people are just identity politics, are just about if, if she has a pussy, she's not a man. And right, so it's like it's just sort of like the 
the I mean, well, one part would be like the personality, but also just kind of the 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 basic fundamental identity setting aside. So it's a, it, it, it kind of continues the yeah. obsession with with kind of personality that maybe one could say started, you know, somewhat. Well, I mean, it's been for a yeah. long time, but but certainly Obama, definitely Trump, yeah. you know, yeah. it's this obsession yeah. with personality and identity. And and then also, I guess one of the things I uh what to me seems apparent is that generally those the identity politics becomes central when we forget about the economy and when we forget about yeah. capitalism. Yeah. When capitalism yeah. slips into the backdrop of our cultural reality such that it is no longer open to critique and transfer and yeah. the possibility of transformation or or even imagining a new you know economic structure, then we get identity politics. Do you agree with that? I agree with it so wholeheartedly. And that is what I think people had a hard time with about Bernie because agreed that to be a politician, you know, to become president of America, you know, you ha yes, you have to have a fucking charming personality, right? There, There is a show there. And Bernie yeah. didn't really have that, right? Bernie, Bernie did not possess that. That was one of his biggest downfalls is that he was repetitive and old and yelled right that people didn't yeah. like the way right that was the, yeah. that's the only like critique like ah he yells too much okay um and warren was little more better packaged yes she because yeah. she was a woman she had a softer tone voice i mean i thought she was a amazing debater i thought she fucking rocked the debate floor and you know did much better than bernie on many of the issues i truly thought she was excellent on that on that front um and but yet she still didn't quite have the package and I thought, yes, it was um, very weird the way she tanked and the way she did. And I think one, and I think part of the way she tanked was also with Bernie the way they had that clash, right? Which was so fucked up and so, you know, represented so badly in the media. The clash over the fact that supposedly Bernie said a woman can never be president, right? Do you remember this whole thing? I don't. So like that, no. during the debates, her team came out and said yeah, it's, it's dumb to rehash, but basically. The, the Warren team said that Bernie said in private, a woman can never become president. It was a huge, massive thing. And then during one of the debates, he they had to bring it up and Bernie had to address it. And he I thought he did a fine job. Then Warren went up and didn't shake his hand. You know, when you see the, the little footage as the debates are ending and it was this big deal. And it just and then everybody was writing about how this is the worst thing that could happen to the progressive party, that now there's this divisive thing between Bernie and Warren. It was a nightmare. It was all a terrible nightmare. And look, even if Bernie did say a woman can never be president, I could see him saying, of course, it's so stupid. Of course, he's not a misogynist. Bernie Sanders, give me a fucking break. You know, I mean, or no more so than any like old straight man is, you know, like can't you can't be a misogynist and 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 be a democratic socialist all his policies are for workers you know or for women workers anyways it's so stupid but um um but uh i know people are probably like of course you can be a misogynist and democratic socialist when they're listening um i always hear the 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 inner dialogue of the listeners the the, the future inner dialogue um but what is my point right now oh is that um uh I don't have a point. I lost my train of thought. Oh, I know what you, I wanted to read this thing, Jacob, and one other little short thing that's on my Instagram that I didn't write. That's written by this writer named Lee Stein, who has a hmm. novel out right now, um, a dark comedy about the wellness industry called self care. Ooh. And I, yeah, write it down. And I did this little talk with her, a little like um, Skype talk recently. Okay. And 
And then she wrote this Medium article called The End of the Girl Boss is Here. Oh, yeah, you shared this the other day. I saw yes, that. Yeah. Mm. And I, I, it really speaks to what you were saying, Jacob, when you were, when you, the way you worded the way when identity politics gets um, lost and forgets about the ills of late stage capitalism. It's not exactly how you said it. You know, that's when we run yeah. into trouble. And she wrote woke, and I think this is a good word to bring up woke capitalism. Let's the elites maintain the status quo while paying lip service to the demands of activists. And as ethical consumers, millennials get to feel like they're making a difference every time they go shopping. And I would say it's not just millennials. I do the same thing. And I'm a Gen yeah. Xer. I mean, I make myself feel better when I ethically shop. Until this country is willing to reckon with its extraordinary wealth inequality and our government requires corporations to pay their fair share in taxes... We will continue to see reincarnations of the girl boss because she's a manifestation of the American myth that says if you're not succeeding, it must be because you're not trying hard enough. Mm. So it's another way of saying everything we're talking about. But I think that, um, yeah, I think that the, the sort of commodification of feminism can lose the thread. You know, I think that's what we're also trying to say together about this this identity politic issue. And to, and it the thread is systemic racism, economic injustice and capitalism, right? And in capitalism and where we are in capitalism now, I have a great episode on our podcast where we interview Richard Wolf, who's an amazing socialist economist, professor emeritus at Columbia. He's been around forever. Um, and it's one of my most recent episodes and he, he's very like, um, you know, he gives a lot of lectures. So he, when you listen to it, it's a lot of him talking, but it's great. Mm -hmm. And he, um, really talks about how our anger, a lot of our anger, like the sovereignty, no maskers are directed to this, to the state yeah. when they, they, when our anger should be directed to the boss because yeah the capitalist contract has been broken, right? The original contract was like, I will employ you, you are my employee, there'll be a fair exchange, I pay, I pay you fairly, you know? And he describes it as another iteration of the serf and the Lord, and how the, the promise was broken, the American promise, because the employee never got their fair share, as we know. And that, like I said, there's only these six white male bosses that own everything, and it and the the wealth does not trickle down. And, you know, this is our, this is the issue that we're stuck here with our tongue out waiting for some little drips that aren't coming to us, you know? Mm, mm, wow. That's interesting. Um, so yeah, you had mentioned that actually in some of the stuff that you um, sent to me about uh, when we were uh, preparing for the interview. And um you also talked to him about, you know, um, with, this is one of the questions you asked, in what ways do you think COVID is exposing the guts of our neoliberal system? And yeah. do you use the term neoliberal when referring to America? Um, and could you speak about what this would look like, the shuttering of our marketplace, if we were a democratic socialist nation, would we be in a mm -hmm. better position? So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious what you think about that in terms of, uh, you know, you've already talked about how COVID has exposed the guts of our of our neoliberal system. And I can tell by what you said earlier that you actually think this is kind of a good thing. 
Um, mm -hmm. And but what do you think the relationship is then between this exposing the guts and then um, the movement of for Black Lives that has you know that has been emerging? Like it seems, yeah, it's it's almost like it was faded. We like needed a yeah. confrontation of our own, uh, you know existence as a culture and it just like was a it was a, a a perfect storm of what needed to happen in order to reflect in a way i totally agree and i think that part and i think part of it sorry um my phone dinged i think part of it is um you know the people also want some you know we're as we know the health of the human being relies on commune with other human beings right <laughs> like yeah. like they when they studied like the you know, the people who live the longest in the world, it's those old people in Greece who hang out every night with red wine and don't lock their doors and don't have a clock, you know? <laughs> it's like some island where they live the longest. They like make, they make their own olive oil wine. They drink every night and play cards till one in the morning and there's no clocks and nothing opens until like noon, you know? I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's really my mentality. Um, but anyway, I think that, I think that our isolation, you know, made us crave the, the, um, force and power of gathering in protest. So some yeah. of it, you know, lucky for Black Lives Matter that many of us lazy white folk wanted to get out there and be with each other, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, so so it's like, some of it was just like, I because I know like my teenager is super, not that she's so like activated for Black Lives Matter and has, you know, a million more deep black friends and lovers than I ever had. So I'm not saying that it's superficial for the teenagers, but the teenagers were going crazy. It's their worst nightmare to be in lockdown. And so they all were out on the streets right away, you know, sanctioned by the adults. Like I, I drove my teenager to the protest. Yeah. So I think that a lot of the, I think that the power of it was very lucky that just human nature that we want to get out there. Right. Um, and then the, the, the fact that the markets were closed gives just all of us so much more time, right? We don't have our brick and mortars to, to man so we can get out on the streets. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the fact that um, the market relies on BIPOC, you know? Yeah. It relies on paying BIPOC badly and really exploiting BIPOC. Mm -hmm. um, and women. Wait, Richard Wolf talks about that a lot, you know, like um, that the women are women and and people of color, black, brown, um, have been like displaced to to help the market when they're needed and then spit out when they're not needed. You know, and the, the women are like chucked back into the home when they don't need it and then pulled out into the marketplace when they're needed. And I think that that there was the amazing footage of like, you know, Fifth Avenue in Manhattan with all the stores, you know, blocked. And when I, I posted that and said like right on, you know, but I'm not, I'm not celebrating. Of course there's beautiful, loving, progressive people who are, their livelihood is being destroyed, you know, because of the markets being shut down. But at the same time, I think we have to go through this pain, you know, like I, my, you know, like even us, our mark, our marketplace, my brick and mortar shut down. And, um, because we're seeing that there's no backup. Like if you look at other countries right now, they're being paid um, wages. You know, the, the, the community, the, the members of these other nations that have social democracy are, give, are being paid while this is happening. And they have tests being brought, you know, like in Scandinavia, there's like 
detectives come up to the door who are loved by the people. And I get that we're different Scandinavia, you know, and are like helping people figure out where COVID is in the community. Mm. Right. Because they're, because they're respected by the, by the people. Yeah. I mean, what is your thought on, on, you know, because obviously when, when they shut down the economy and we were all sent checks, um, you know, this is, I (laughs) I didn't get one either. Um, so, you know, it seems like inherently, and maybe you don't, maybe you agree with this or not, but yeah. it seems like inherently socialist gesture, like sending out, you know, yeah. checks of support for the nation. It was necessary. And yet no one really, you know, the people that, you know, hate socialism, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, were, were like, send me my check, you know? And, know. and so there was just like this, again, it's this irony of, you know, when it's necessary, everybody, you know, when it, when there's really no alternative, people support socialism. And then it's like, but can't you, can't you extrapolate from this experience that actually a little bit more, you know, support and then, and then also people making more money than even they do in their normal jobs, which just says like, if the, if the government can afford to pay you more than you were making in your job, then you probably weren't making enough. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. We got we got the unemployment checks, you know, not not just the check that Trump sent everybody, but we, we managed to qualify for the full amount of the unemployment. And, we, and it, we were like, whoa, this is amazing. You know, like um, it came in the mail four days later. We had to have someone help us apply and all that. It's extremely complicated in Pennsylvania, at least. But, yeah, it said it really shows that our system is so diseased. Um, and I do fear I do fear, but I don't think so. I fear that it'll just go back to normal, right? Yeah. Or yeah. that people aren't going to translate. Just like we're saying how the feminists are not translating the feminist um, ideology to economic justice ideology, you know, to capitalism. Um, but I don't see how it can go back to normal that soon because as we see, we're, about, we're being hit by whatever we want to call it, the same wave or the second wave in the red states. Yeah. And that's only going to get worse, right? Because it's still going up in Florida and Texas. Which um, part of me thinks, you know, I told you so. You know, it's hard yeah. not to feel that way. Uh, it's so it's so weird to sit around hoping that people die, you know? Um, like, like, I'm like, are you kidding me? Boris fucking, what's his name? I always want to call him Boris Yeltsin from England. Didn't Johnson, die. Boris Johnson. Yeah, Boris Johnson, like, got out of intensive care. What the fuck? Then it makes me believe in conspiracy and lizard people. You know, I'm like, yeah, he's a lizard. Um, oh my God, the lizard people. Um, but like, my mom's really into the lizard people and stuff. Um, oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. She's a major conspiracy person, and she's ever- not. Yeah. I what, what I'm curious what you think about that because I actually have some friends who believe in these kind of conspiracy theories. You know, there's another conspiracy theory about the, how the moon. Well, it's not really conspiracy, but it's yeah. more like a belief that the moon isn't real, right? Have you heard this one? Like the moon is a tin can, yeah. and we know because you know we sent a missile at the moon and it rang like a bell. Well, first of all, no one can hear in space, so I don't know how it could have rung like a bell. Um, but this is like one oh of these. My- one of these things. It's an ancient satellite put on, you know, above you know what you know obviously put an orbit of the earth um to for some kind of like reason that we no longer oh my know God. you know what i have not fucking heard that my mom believes that no one landed on the moon so i'm sure tin can moon is next you know <laughs> um and like i i it does make me i don't like the fact that i get like this but it makes me crazy i really 
makes me so mad because the conspiracy is so obvious. It's right in front of our eyes. The conspiracy is what we're talking about, you know, yeah. is that capitalism is going to benefit anybody. You know, that's the yeah. conspiracy. The trick is the trick. My, my husband always says, you know, the greatest hoax of our time, trickle down theory. Yeah. Um, but and like, oh, I wanted to add in um, this one thing when I was talking about Richard Wolf that I think is important about um, the way the contract was broken in capitalism and what he says in terms of police brutality is that, and I'm, I, I guess it's fairly obvious when I say this aloud, but I think it's important to say, is mm. that the police's contract is to protect those in power, you know, the corporate power, and to and to hold down basically women and BIPOC, you know, and, and which is, it's so that, you know, inherently this, the, the, the role of the police is to uphold the capitalist contract, which means upholding the corporate bosses. Um, which is why that it's very important to language the language of looting correctly, you know, in my opinion, that like, um, what do you mean by that? Oh, meaning that like protecting the stores when the police come in riot gear and militarized gear to protect the marketplace. That's a very interesting message, you know, yeah. because agreed innocent smaller stores can get wrapped up into the, into the looting, of course. And mostly that's what, you know, at least in our neighborhoods, it was set you know, a lot of like, even black shop owners themselves got looted, you know? Mm. So I'm not trying to say that, that I'm not trying to say that um, looting is only done to, you know, target, for example, obviously smaller places are looted, but the idea of militarized police coming in to protect marketplace is inherently the issue that our protection is for the corporate powers, the man, I put quotes around it and not for, um, the underprivileged, yeah, which is the whole point, obviously, of the protest. But I'm just saying that in a way that's relating it to economic injustice. Yeah. You know, it's one of the reasons why a black man does not call the police when there's an issue in his neighborhood, you know, yeah. which, which Tana Hasi Coates was talking about um, on an, in an interview recently, you know. I mean, it, one of the most inspiring things to be, you know, to, yeah. to, uh, address something positive for a moment is that you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the way in which what's been happening has forced open the uh, our cultural imagination in terms of like you know just what's happening in Minneapolis like you know de like shutting down the police and like reimagining what it would be like to have an alternative I mean what do we want to call it besides police you know a yeah. community uh uh, grassroots, you know, support force or whatever it is, you know, yeah, um, yeah. just the very idea that something so normalized and naturalized in our cultural imagination, like the police, that we're at a juncture where we're actually capable of considering alternatives and showing the ultimate arbitrariness of a militarized police force is really yeah. exciting. It's really inspiring. Very. I find that so much hope too. And, and even Coates himself said he feels hope, which is so rare to hear him say. He was on the Ezra Klein podcast recently mm. saying just that, that the fact that we're discussing defunding the police and what that actually means to defund the police and exactly that the alternatives, um, you know, more towards restorative justice and to have designated um, de-escalators, for example, mm. in communities, um, which, are, is very different than calling the police. You know, when he was saying that some communities already have that, you know, like sometimes there's like, I'm just totally, you know, taking what Coach said and saying it not as well, but he said that in, you know, his 
communities growing up in poor black neighborhoods that there would be always like maybe like an older black man who was like the de-escalator. You know, you'd call that, but you'd never call the cops. You'd call the de-escalator. But if we could have that, you know, as part and inherent and part of the American system would be amazing. I do think we're quite far from that, but I think yeah. that, the, that there is hope that yeah. we're thinking about that and languaging it, you know? Yeah. Oh, and, I, and, and you know, one of the lines that Richard Wolf said, which I think is important, I couldn't remember, is that he said, um, he said, um, the police come in because, and this is, I'm quoting him, because they then became the people who could present one face to the whites who were exempted from the business cycle. And he described the business cycle as these cycles of collapse. He says, if you look at it every four years, there's a financial collapse in the business world. And that um, you could count, and though the police present one face to the whites who are exempted from the business cycle, who could count on their job being more or less steady. They didn't need the police for them, but you needed the police for the people who have been really screwed. And I think that's really important in respect to talking about looting. You know, the, the, the people who have been really screwed, they are the people who, of course, are going to, when this is presented, loot and then be brutalized by the police. Mm. Does that make wow. sense? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Like, that. There's all, that there's all, in the capitalist system, there's basically the majority are screwed and the minority are protected. Who are, they, the minority are the only people making By minority, I don't mean racial minority. I mean financial minority. Yeah. Making, yeah. you know, healthy. But right. anyways, I went back to that thing, but I just think it's important to remember that. Um, and uh, I know we probably have to wrap up, but I don't know what this all has to do with yoga. I, I think I'm, I, I'm definitely in a spiritual crisis in sense that I, every, when you ask like how, where we've come to now, I would say that, and if we're going to end soon, it would be that every month I less and less have want anything to do with the yoga community. Interesting. Well, what I wanted to, yeah, that's what I actually <laughs> was about to circle back to was, um, and I love the, you know, the kind of way we've gone with the interview because it's, you know, we've yeah. gotten more political outside the, the context of the yoga community, but that's always fun anyway. Um, yeah. But I wanted to, you know, in the great spirit of our five-year strong tradition of, of skewing yeah. the yoga community, like, what do you find distasteful now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I guess I find, I mean, I, you know, so much, but, um, I, I want to end also on a, I'll say what I, after, you know, what I still like about yoga, I think is important to say, yeah. but what I, <laughs> what I find distasteful is exactly that quote I read earlier that what I, what I feel is happening. And again, it's not their fault is that women are being forced to become these, you know, self-help wellness advocates online yeah so yeah. they're they're there to basically promote the pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality but cloaked in neo-spiritual language and i find it very distasteful i'm glad that each that people seem to be able to make a living you know i think it's like i get that we all have to do that but what we're being forced to do and i'm not saying that let's say i'm just going to call somebody jane let's say let's say Jane wrote that aphorism and there's so many people like Jane who have the same profiles on Instagram. You know, they'd have a picture, yeah. a selfie, they have one day a selfie talking about, you know, how to get ahead, giving also business advice, webinars that are either pay or free about, you know, how to set up your Instagram, how to, what your greatest desires are and how you can fulfill your own mm -hmm. dreams. 
business-wise, et cetera. And then the next day, it's a written aphorism, you know, like the one I read. And then it's a selfie the next day or a little mini Instagram live talk. <laughs> and um, there's so many, you know, profiles like that across the board. And um, that is what I don't like. So that, in my opinion, many yoga teachers I once respected and knew and really enjoyed the class, that's what they do now, you know? Yeah. And I don't blame them again i think they're a victim of the system and they would laugh and think this was crazy i'm calling them a victim do you know what i'm saying yeah like of yeah. Course they're not victims but yes i do think they are because i think yeah. you're a victim when you're delusional about what is, is building what what the backbone of the system is you know yeah the when, you act, when you actually think that like the things you know the statements that you're making are like authentically coming from your truest self rather than from a, you know, completely entrenched ideology that you don't even recognize as being an ideology. Exactly. Perfectly said. Thank you. I'm going to write that down later. <laughs> I, I'm uh, going to put that up as my meme for the day. You know, I'm going to, that's actually too. my least favorite thing actually. Um, and there is somebody that we both know who does this, yeah. um, who, uh, when you, for those who do like memes of, or like a quote by themselves and then they quote themselves, you know, they have like, like, it would be like, I said this, blah, 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 Jacob Kyle. And then I put that on <laughs> my Instagram. <laughs> I, I may have done that before, to tell you the truth. I'll have to look at my page, but but I think when I did it, it was probably funny. Um, <laughs> it was tongue-in-cheek um, in some way. Yes. Yeah, that's what I hate. And I, I hate also, but I think this is getting better, is um, uh, the the ideology of niceness. Yeah. And, that, you know, and I've been often, like, gotten pushback from, like, Elena Brower's people. Like, how dare oh, yeah. I take women, other women down and that it's very, Oh, and the word divisive is used and mean. And yeah. you're I, considered a bully by a few people. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And, and I, I own up to the fact that I have bullish behavior, like what I said on Jessica Belafato's page. And like I say, that's my weak spot when I go into the bully behavior after some tequila. So, yeah, exactly. And that's only when I'm trolling somebody, but I, but bullying behavior, but I do not own up to bully behavior when it's my own page and my own work. And if I'm going to take, if somebody is going to put a meme out there or a quote on their page for the public, that's public consumption. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. once you post that, that square on Instagram, sorry, uh, bitch, it's, it's up for grabs. You know what I'm saying? I, I cross out the names often when I repost, too, so I'm not calling any specific person out. You know, I've never called Elena Brower out. I mean, I am right now, but I've never said her name. I It's a conglomeration of many personas, but she is very inspirational to me. She's personally <laughs> me. Um, and, um, and, but, uh, but yes, I do think that I have displayed bullyish behavior when I truly have lost my patience for you know, the idiocracy. Um, so, and I, I, I will own up to it. Like we, Jessica Belfort and I DM'd each other and I said, yeah, I came on pretty strong and um, I just get very impatient and she, and then, but then I get, but then I couldn't, and then I, I apologized. And then the next day I wrote the thing about <laughs> Alex Jones and Trump because I, because then she posted another thing and I was like, okay, no, I can't. <laughs> you guys had just made up and then you skewered her yeah. again. And then I told her again. Um, but yeah, I know I'm considered a bully and um yeah, what can I do? But uh, 
I guess I am somewhat. I, I've, I have arguments even with my own community, you know. About well, it was interesting. I met someone one time uh, who um, was actually, they had never met you in real life. And then they did. And they were pleasantly surprised at how, how lovely you are in like personal conversation because they they had uh, this idea that you were kind of a bully on, on social media and, uh, and not very yeah. nice. And then they were pleasantly surprised yeah. by by who you are in person. Oh, I'm, I glad was funny. I mean, I'm glad to hear that. I know. I mean, as you know well, because you've taken my class and you know me, yeah, I think I'm at heart a real, I mean, I'm truly not a bully in my regular, you know, I mean, like if anything, my husband's always annoyed that I, you know, whatever, it's a cliche, I don't know how to say no and all that stuff. And, um, yeah. you know, yeah. I nurse my children until they're 10 years old and sleep in the same bed with my son. And I just like to be naked and cozy by the fire and, there's nothing I like more than hanging out with a cocktail and draping my legs over some friends. Yeah. And I feel like you want to show your breasts again, don't you, Alex? I really do, yeah. Okay, yeah, show them. This will be I for those that are beautiful. You can really take, you, yeah, do you like, how do you like the way this one is, like, I would say three times the size of this. Yeah, how did that happen? Is that the one you breastfed with? No, I mean, maybe. It always was a little bigger, but at this age, it really changed. And um, I do sometimes wish that this one was this size because I can get away without a bra with just this one. But this uh -huh. one, no. Basically, right. yeah, my <laughs> <laughs> so um, for anybody who is listening, um, that will be available on the YouTube version of uh, this inter interview for those that want to see exactly. Alex's breasts in action. <laughs> well, that's an interesting note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, maybe it will act, it'll act as a segue to our, our third interview together at some point. Um, yeah. Alex, do you want to share a little bit about, you know, what's coming up for you? I mean, obviously everything's online yeah. these days and, yeah. um, those who have not yet, um, found your inspiring Instagram, uh, handle, it is Alex, Adair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Technically my name is pronounced, but don't feel embarrassed when you hear the Otter. real pronunciation. Jacob it's Odare Odare oh my gosh yes but no I don't care nobody says it I never correct I truly don't give two shits but then I sometimes will get mad at me when they once in a blue moon hear it said right now like why don't nobody said Nikki none of my best friends say it, but it is Odare Odare yeah okay. so Alex Odare A-U-D-R it's confusing it's a, some weird French made up name and uh, yeah I have my I still have my website, maguyoga.com, M-A-G-U.com, where all the links to my digital offerings are available. I teach a couple live classes every week, and then I have like a very large on-demand platform. So it's still through, I still use MindBody, which we wanted to get rid of, but we do it. So you can like, I have a $55 unlimited monthly membership, so you can get all my, and I offer like some, a couple of guest classes, all my classes. And then you get like a weekly Nikki V class, a Pilates class, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you got um, a weekly Nikki V class to be in Magu? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yes. Yeah, a little exchange. So I teach one on the Kula platform and she gives me one. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's great. And my people love it. When I say my people, I just mean my members. My people. <laughs> my followers. <laughs> and then we have, and then my husband and I do this podcast called 15 Minutes with Alex, which is sometimes over an hour. It's sort of a joke. <laughs> Um, it's referring to, you know, the Warhol 50 minutes. My mother was a Warhol star. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, we, yeah, it's, it's, it's not like, I think the episodes can be anywhere from goofy talking about personal hygiene and COVID to, you know, couples therapy 
to like the Richard Wolff interview about capitalism. So it, it, it varies. It's pretty diverse. Yeah. Yeah. And, I love it. You know, that's it. I mean, right before the pandemic happened, I was about, I had finally from that New York Times article gotten a literary agent and I've been writing a memoir basically since I was 20 years old. Really? And we were literally about to send out the proposal when everything got shut down. Oh, shit. And you haven't found yourself uh, finding the time to finish it at this point because of all... Well, not that, it's just we did finish the, you know, these days it's also weird. You send like the proposal out, even though most of the book is actually already written. So the proposal is done. My agent, so weird saying that, says we will be sending it out soon. So yeah, it's a memoir about growing up in the Chelsea with a crazy mom, yeah. et, cetera, et cetera. It's called Don't Call Me Home. Don't Call Me Home? Yeah. I love it. Well, I can't wait for that to be published, and maybe after it's published, we can do a third one and and talk about it. I would it. love that. That would be I would amazing. Love that. And-, and you do talk a little bit. You know, I just want to direct those who are listening as well. If they haven't listened to the first podcast, um, yeah. Alex does talk about um, her life at the Chelsea somewhat at the beginning of that interview, and then we also talk about you know some yoga philosophy stuff, which we didn't talk so much about today but you are you have some awesome things to say about it and of course your classes for those who haven't taken them yet you you have you know like i've said before actually um in in that previous podcast you have a really kind of wonderful eloquent way of integrating the teachings in a in a way that's not kind of preachy or you know that kind of annoying annoying dharma talk style you really weave in uh the wisdom in a really beautiful way and so you know i just want to mention that to those listening so that they you know go and experience it for themselves with your with your online classes that's really kind to say yeah i i i hope that's so and it's very flattering to hear and you know physically i try to just i really try to keep returning us to that the like tender inner somatic connection that modern postural yoga can help facilitate you know and it's not that it's not like I don't call my classes gentle necessarily I do teach like a fundamentals which is more gentle one day a week they can be physically challenging but I'm always trying to like I guess protect that feeling of somatic domination that I feel like I'm still recovering from, you know? Yeah. yeah and yeah. so that's like my, the, the work that I find interesting in movement and that I, every time I teach, I'm, I try to like kind of dig into in my own way for myself and how I'm languaging it. Like I feel like I'm always questioning and trying to renew the language, you know? Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Wow. Well, we've been speaking okay. with Alex Odare. <laughs> Now that I'm pronouncing it the correct way. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Alex. It's, you know, as usual, such a pleasure to to see you and chat with you. And um, and I'll talk to you soon. I want to say it's a true pleasure to talk with you. Like, I've done a, few, a couple other things, and it's just, I don't know, it's very relaxing and lovely. And you have a way of really, like, letting each other dig into ideas that I find rare these days. So Thank I you. I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you. <laughs>